it comes from Matthew 5, 1 through 5. Click one, two. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the word of our God. You can be seated. All right, we are um, continuing to look um, at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as was mentioned earlier. And, and really what we've seen to this point uh, is that this is not so much a sermon that was designed to comfort um, those who are struggling. It's not really blessings that he's offering to various groups of people, nor, nor are, are all these things descriptions of the optimal Christian life that we're all supposed to be pursuing. But what they are, essentially, are, are Jesus' descriptions of the inevitable character, the character qualities of those who are citizens of his kingdom. In, in other words, let me put it this way. What is it that makes you a Christian? Is it, is it walking the aisle and making a commitment? No. It, it's also, it's, it, it's not having a deep commitment to follow Jesus. Um, it, it's not going to church regularly. In, in fact, it's not even a belief in Jesus and his death on the cross. What makes you a citizen of his kingdom, Jesus said, is that you possess a poverty of spirit, an awareness of your complete neediness before God, and then they're clinging to Jesus to meet that need. See, it, it's not just that you've got some flaws and struggles and, and maybe you need to work on them a little bit more, but your corruption is so thorough and your neediness is so great that there's nothing that you can offer to God. There's nothing that you can do to merit even an ounce of his favor. That is poverty of spirit. To be able to say, God, I'm weak, I am needy, I cannot fix my problems, which leads us, secondly, to be able to, as he says, mourn over our sin. Because, you see, those who lack a true poverty of spirit can always find ways uh, of managing their sins rather than mourning over their sins. You, you can work on your shortcomings. You can make excuses uh, for when you failed. You see, there's always something to be done about it. But Jesus says that citizens of my kingdom come to realize that the only thing that can be done, I've already done for you. I've lived the life that you ought to live, and I've died the death that you deserve to die, which then leads us, thirdly, to what Jesus tells us today, that citizens of his kingdom are meek. Now, I want you to think about why for a moment, because what we've learned to this point is that every ounce of worth and value that you do have is credited righteousness. See, before God, you do have complete righteousness. You have amazing worth. You have incredible value, but it's credited righteousness. It's not earned righteousness. It's not your good deeds. It's not your efforts. It's not your commitment it's the righteousness of Jesus, lived for you, given to you as a free gift. And therefore, there's nothing in me to boast about. There's nothing there. Now, that's where Jesus is taking us today. Let's back up and set this in the context of our day today. You know, we, it's no surprise. We live in a world of self-promotion, a world of uh, power uh, and strength, uh, 
frankly, I think if we're honest, we've actually become a culture of the survival of the fittest. It's now tr true politically that the powerful thrive as they crush their opponents. Um, it's also becoming true socially and even ethnically as various groups take turns trampling on one another's rights. Uh, it's also true in the business world as mega corporations take over the world. It's true in power as people vie for ways to control other people's lives and the way they even think, let alone live and act. And it's just as true today, I suppose, as it's always been with beauty and popularity, where the elites with charisma and, and beauty trample on us common folks at the bottom. And I think we are rapidly becoming a militant society where everyone is encouraged to fight for their own personal rights, to demand an equal seat at the table, and honestly, in many cases, demanding extra clout at the table to make up for past abuses. Our culture is becoming coercive and militant and aggressive. That's just the way our culture now runs, which means that today that not only does meekness take a back seat in our culture today, but it's a concept that our culture is completely abandoned. And, and so what this means for you and me here today is that Jesus is actually calling you to a deep embedded lifestyle that has zero value in our world today. And frankly, would be scoffed at as stupid. And to make matters worse, if that weren't hard enough, to the, the degree that Christians act today with a humble meekness, it's interpreted by the watching world as us getting in line with their agenda of acknowledging our white Western Christian privilege. And so it feels like a double death not to fight back and to say, no, 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 you can't treat me that way. And what's fascinating about this passage here is that Jesus doesn't just critique that way of thinking, but he goes 180 degrees in the opposite direction and says that the citizens of my kingdom are known for their meekness. They're, they're known for their lack of self-promotion in any way. They're known from running away from trying to lord it over other people. And he adds that these people are the ones who will really inherit the earth. And frankly, these are the only ones who will end up inheriting the earth. See, Jesus couldn't be more countercultural if he tried. He says that the values of my kingdom are the utter opposite of the world. And so right out of the gate here, before we even get to defining meekness and understanding what it means, I think we have a principle here that just exposes us and nails us to the wall. Because for most of us, sure, we, you know, we want to be Christians in a hostile world, but would rather blend in as we do it. Nobody wants to stick out like this. But Jesus says citizens of my kingdom do stick out. They will be noticed for their difference. Listen, are you... Are you an enigma to the world? Do people look at your life and scratch their head because of your humble confidence? Because listen, there are two opposite extremes here that we often run to that both, I guess I say neither, are hitting at what Jesus is calling us to here today. And one extreme is that we just, as I said, we want to blend in. You keep your Christian convictions to yourself. You have a deep personal faith, but you don't rock the boat out there in the world. And then there's the other opposite extreme where you're at, at war with the world, where you view the world as your enemy. 
and you find yourself engaged in a cultural war that you're trying to win as you fight for laws that reflect your values. And listen, I you know, gotta be honest, you can, you can organize people, you can build coalitions that lead to making uh, abortion illegal and same-sex marriage illegal and whatever you wanna add to that list without ever changing the hearts of the people. And is that all we're after, just winning? Just having our side on top, is that all we're after? No, Jesus says, I am looking for meekness. See, this is the very thing that Jesus was critiquing in his day. And in his case, he was actually critiquing a traditional religion of the one true God of the Bible. And yet the people were still looking for a Messiah to deliver them from the military power of the Romans. They were looking for a Messiah who would establish them as the favored people of the earth because of their superior morality and their superior theology. They were looking for a Messiah who would put them back in power where their laws, which were the laws of God, would be the laws of the land. That's how many people think and act today in the church. And Jesus says, my kingdom isn't like that. In, in my kingdom, it's the meek who inherit the earth. Now, that's, that's our context. Let's start by noticing, once again, that there's a kind of a logical flow to these, uh, to these beatitudes because each one suggests and leads to the next. See, Jesus starts by telling us uh, that here's, here's the rock solid bottom foundation of my kingdom. That citizens of my kingdom have an utter, utter poverty of spirit. In other words, unless they see themselves as completely helpless spiritually, there's, 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 that there's nothing I can do, there's nothing that I can offer, there's nothing in me that would merit anything in the eyes of God. That's what I need to understand to be able to enter the kingdom, which leads then to mourning over sin. Because as we said, if, if I see my struggles as problems that I, I can take care of, if I just work hard enough, if I'm just committed enough, if I'm serious enough, then you don't need a savior to come and bring complete rescue. You need help, you need advice, you need counsel, you need teaching, you need motivation, but you don't need a savior. But if I am thoroughly corrupt, and if it's part of my nature so deeply that I just can't stop it, then the only thing I can do is to mourn over my sin, which then creates a meek person, which we'll work on defining here in a minute. But I want you to notice that not only do these beatitudes logically follow one another, but I think they actually become more and more difficult as we go, more and more painful to have to deal with. Because you see, this is more searching. This is more humbling and even more humiliating than the previous two. Because see, in, in the first beatitude, I come to realize how utterly weak and needy that I actually am before God. I've got nothing that I can offer to him. I simply cannot live the Christian life on my own. I don't have the strength that it takes. And in the second beatitude, I come to see that my sin is more than just an occasional problem that can be managed. It's more than all the trying harder in the world could ever fix because I'm thoroughly and completely incapable of doing good. Even my best deeds and my best days are seen by God as a pile of filthy rags because of how tainted they are with pride and self. But then comes along this gut-wrenching kick in the third beatitude where he says, blessed are the meek. And I want you to notice what's happening here now because meekness deals with how we relate to other people. See, I can see my utter need before God in secret. As I stand before God, I can admit how screwed up I am. I mean, that's hard enough to be honest about that. But you see, meekness is now 
how that thought is expressed to the world. It's how that view of self, that poverty of spirit, is expressed in my relationships. And so now this is not just um, standing naked and exposed before God, but I'm standing publicly before a watching world. I'm exposed as a fraud, as, as weak, as needy. I stand before people with nothing to boast in. And listen, we would all rather condemn ourselves for our shortcomings than to allow anybody else to condemn us. Because you see, up to this point, I, I've been looking at myself and my own need privately. But now other people are looking at me because I'm in relationship with them and I'm exposed before them. And some of those people can just be downright irritating, especially when they are anything but meek and humble with you. And listen, this is actually one of the hardest things to do, to be meek and humble in the face of a proud world, to be standing in the presence of boastful people who are full of themselves, standing in the presence of powerful people who are exploiting the weak. It's extremely difficult to exhibit meekness and humility at times like that. We, we want to win, right? We want to destroy our enemies. We want to prove and justify ourselves. But Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom works. So what are meek people like? Well, you know, since we live in a culture that really places no value on meekness anymore, it's really hard to point out many examples. And so let's go back to scripture and I'll just point out a few. Uh, look at Abraham, head of his family, the elder uncle, the guy in charge, the one that God had spoken to and said, go. What does he do when he tells his younger nephew, you take the the choice lands that you want, and I'll take what's left. That's meekness. Or look at Moses, the, the man that, that the Bible describes as the meekest man that ever lived. And though he was raised in the palace of Pharaoh, he chose to identify with his people, and he led a life of humility and obscurity. Or look at David, who was told by God that he was going to be the next king. He was even anointed to be the next king, and he would not kill the current king, Saul, though he had many, many, many chances to. He kept saying, who am I? to be in the place of God. That's meekness. Or look at Jeremiah the prophet. He was called by God to be the only prophet who was bringing bad news when all the other prophets were telling people what they wanted to hear. He spoke the truth and was despised for it. Or look at Stephen and his speech who spoke the truth in humility. Or, or the apostle Paul who was constantly accused of things that he didn't do. He was continually challenged by people in the churches that he'd planted. And yet he never defends himself but he pours himself out and serves those people in love. And of course, the ultimate example of meekness is Jesus himself, who though he was God, chose to be led like a lamb to the slaughter so that he could bring life to us. Listen, th those are pictures of what meekness looks like, but listen, let's, let's try to define it. What is meekness? Um, and, and first of all, let me say what it's not. Meekness is not a natural quality or a natural disposition that some people have. I mean, just look at our examples. Mo Moses learned meekness after being brash and self-confident about being able to lead uh, his people through murder, right? L David learned meekness through moral failure. Abraham learned meekness through uh, after doubting God's protection and lying about his wife being his sister. See, these guys were not naturally meek. God had to work it into them. Also, we need to say that meekness is not for some Christians, but it's actually at the heart of what it may, means to be a Christian. In other words, it's not an option. 
If you truly have poverty of spirit, you can't help but be meek. Okay? Meekness is not wimpiness or timidity. So many of our examples of meek people were bold leaders, even great risk takers. But they did it as promoters of God, not of themselves. You know, I've often thought of the great contrast, if you give me an example from modern politics, um, uh, of the difference between uh, Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. Now, half, two-thirds of you in this room don't even remember Ronald Reagan. You weren't born yet, so I'm placing my age here. But in, in policy, these two guys were almost identical in everything that they believed. And yet, if you go back and listen to Reagan's speak, speeches, he was always pointing people to America, to, to democracy, to, to liberty, to justice, while he laughed at himself. He was a very meek man. Whereas for Trump, everything was personal. Everything's about me. They're attacking me, right? That's the opposite of meekness, right? So you can be a bold leader and still be meek. Okay, meekness is also not just having a poor self-image. As we quoted Tim Keller a couple weeks ago, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Right? Meekness is not somebody uh, who pursues peace at all costs. Jesus was a meek peacemaker, but boy, he sure, up, sure stirred up an awful lot of trouble wherever he went. Listen, meekness is compatible with great strength. Meekness is compatible with great authority and power. I mean, the martyrs were weak, they, and yet they were bold enough to stand up and die for their faith. And, and, and listen, this is important in the modern church culture here in in the South, meekness is also not just acting meek, right? It is, you know, so much of our culture, there's meekness, but it's outside in meekness. You're trying to act meek because it's what Christians are supposed to do. Now, being, meekness is being meek from the inside out. It's who you are, again, because it flows from how you view yourself. And if you see yourself as a totally screwed up sinner who has no hope before God, and yet you're loved and you're forgiven and you're cherished by him, it creates meekness. It's natural. Listen, in general, what we can say is that meek people never promote themselves. Meek people never feel a need to lash back at people, never feel a need to get even. They're not desperate to make sure everybody knows all the good things that they did. So what is meekness? Let me, let's just define it. And I'll give you a definition up here. Part of this I pulled from um, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones back in the 1950s. Uh, but he, he defined it sort of like this. Meekness is having a right view of yourself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct in your relationship to others. Let me repeat that. Meekness is having a right view of yourself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct in your relationship with others. See, if you view yourself as poor in spirit, then you've got nothing to boast about. You've got nothing to defend. But if you view yourself as a struggling Christian who just can't seem to keep up with everybody else, you're going to beat yourself up. And in your relationships with others, you're always going to be comparing yourself to them. How much better they are than you. Or if you view yourself on the other end of the spectrum as a successful Christian. Because, man, I haven't killed anybody. haven't committed adultery. I'm keeping the rules you're still going to be comparing yourself to others. But now you're going to be proud and condescending and impatient with all those losers beneath you. That's how it expresses itself in community. But if you see, uh, if your view of self creates a deep mourning over the depth of your sinfulness, it's really hard to grow impatient with other people when they fail. 
I mean, it's a lot harder to honk the horn and call people an idiot when you already know what an idiot you are. Listen, meekness is the absolute absence of any pride or boasting. And see, that absence of pride doesn't come from trying to be meek. It doesn't come from putting on meekness because Christians are supposed to act that way. Now, that's only going to lead to more pride. Look how meek I am, right? But it's meekness of heart, which means it's who you are from the inside out because I have a right view of myself before God. See, meek people can be very bold for the truth and yet very humble about their own personal preferences or understandings of that truth. Meek people have nothing to defend. They have nothing to boast about, nothing uh, that justifies putting anybody else down and putting them in their place. Because you see, meek people are always pointing people to Jesus. And they're also always pointing people to other people who are wiser than themselves, but they never point to themselves. They don't accept the accolades of people that are not theirs to take. They don't work behind the scenes to uh, maybe promote a better view of themselves than is warranted. Listen to how Paul calls us to meekness in Philippians 2. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. See, this isn't a call so much to become like this as much as it's a reminder of who you are and what you are, and therefore, how could you act any other way than this? See, meek people aren't sensitive about themselves. They aren't working to protect their own self-interest. They aren't concerned about their public reputation. They don't have a need to make sure that everybody knows that that problem wasn't my fault, right? See, meek people don't protect themselves because there's nothing to protect. Everything I have is because of Jesus. And to be meek essentially means to be finished with yourself completely. You have no rights. You expect no privileges. But it also means that nothing can now hurt you, right? Because your right view of yourself reminds you that you're already as low as you can go. And you're already loved as much as you ever could be loved. So nothing can bring you down. And nothing can puff you up. Listen, this is how a meek person responds to criticism. Whether it's justified criticism or 99.9% .9 untrue, a meek person will always respond, if you only knew. I'm far worse than that. If you only knew. But you see, it's combined with a deep assurance that my debt has been paid in full. And you're amazed that a God, that the king of the universe would love and accept somebody like me but he has. And so your failings don't intimidate you. I've already got everything that I need. And that is meekness. And listen, real, real briefly, just listen to descriptions of how meekness is expressed. It's not boastful. It's not self-defensive. There's no desire to get even. They take, meek people take no joy in seeing others get theirs. You're very patient and long-suffering with people because you expect everybody else to be just as messed up as you are. You're able, able to endure unjust suffering and to go through hard times because you know that God sees you and God defends you and he's using everything that's going on in your life right now to drive meekness deeper into your heart. Listen, meek people are quick to listen to Christ, uh, criticism because you know how screwed up you really are so you can take it in 
and you can evaluate it without the needy, needing to uh, filter it or defend it or justify it. It makes you teachable before both God and man. Why? Because it's not all about me. It's all about Jesus. And he's the one who's done everything that I never could do. And I think finally, meek people are equipped to entrust their lives to God. You, you let him be the judge because he, he's the one who's going to repay evil, not us. And you recognize that everything that he brings in my life today is brought by his loving hand for a reason. It's brought for a purpose. It's for my good and for his glory. And so you're not always complaining about how your life ought to be going or I wish it was heading more in this direction or I wish I didn't have to deal with this junk over here. Um, you're not always comparing yourself to other people. Why do they get to have this blessing and I have to suffer over here? It creates a quietness of spirit that entrusts everything to God. Now, we can't end before we look at the results of this meekness because Jesus ends this beatitude by saying, for they will inherit the earth. And of course, I mean, that's what drives all the dog-eat-dog -dog competitiveness of our world today. People think that by winning, they're going to inherit the earth. I'll be on top. I'll win. But Jesus says they're fools. In the end, all they're going to get is destruction because nobody competes with my glory and wins. Uh, but for the meek, you see, they are the ones. And Jesus says they're the only ones who actually inherit the earth. And, and, and it's true, I think, both the immediate sense and in an ultimate sense. In, in the immediate sense, and sometimes it's a bit hard to see because there's so much injustice around us. But just think about it. the person who is content no matter what, the person who's not always lashing out or needing to defend themselves, not always competitive in, you know, with, with everybody else, they're satisfied. They're not bitter about life. They're not complaining about life. They're not frustrated about life. Whereas a person who is pursuing these things, they're never happy. They're always bitter. They're always angry. They're always tearing other people down. Nothing is ever good enough. Listen again how the Apostle Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. See, what he's saying here is that when you see that your deep need has been met in Jesus, even the hard times can't bring you down. In fact, they actually bring life. They produce purity and they produce patience and kindness. It develops in people a sincere love for others since you don't have to use them anymore and you don't have to, to, to win in competition with them anymore. He says it lives on uh, despite facing death. It, it has riches despite being poor. It's enabled to endow others with riches even though you have none yourself. Or listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. 
And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more, for all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. See, what he's saying is you don't have to jockey for position. You don't have to wear yourself out trying to promote yourself. You don't have to constantly be defending yourself. You can lose that deep obsession of self and find true life and true satisfaction in Jesus because in him you already have everything that you need. But this is not only true in the immediate sense, but I think it's even more true in the ultimate sense. One day, because as we said, what, what looks like it brings life today always leads to death. It always leads to destruction. But the meek will inherit the earth. That Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? The, the world that you are so desperate to conquer, the world that you're so desperate to keep up with, one day he says, you're going to be the judge over it. I mean, that's the ultimate inheritance in the end. Listen, don't worry about any suffering that you're facing today. One day you're going to reign with him. As Jesus put it, whoever exalts himself is going to be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And part of Jesus' promise here is, listen, you're not in danger of missing out on anything today. Everything that you've ever wanted or dreamed of or longed for, it's still coming. A, the, a world of absolute joy and satisfaction and contentment, it's still coming. A world of getting everything you ever wanted and everything you ever dreamed of, it's still coming. Why? Because of Jesus. Frankly, none of us are capable of producing meekness on our own. Only the Spirit can do this. As he shows us our poverty of spirit, as he drives us in hope to our Redeemer Jesus, let me close this morning by reminding you of what Paul says in Philippians 2, that Jesus is our Redeemer. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, meekness is not a call to be a wimpy person that everybody walks all over. Meekness is not a call to be somebody who has a poor self-image and you're always beating yourself up. Rather, meekness is a call to see yourself as God declares you to be, far more messed up than you ever imagined, yet far more loved than you ever dared hope or dream. So that in your relationships, you might live out of that confident humility rather than the lies of self-promotion. Again, I'll end with this passage for the first five verses of that. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And again, I don't think Jesus here is giving us goals to shoot for. He's saying, this is who you are. 
if you have the right view of yourself, you're going to naturally act this way because it's who you are and it's what you are before me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge this morning our desperate need of you. We confess that we are weak and needy people who are um, desperate to be rescued from our own foolishness and our own brokenness. Lord, we come today in confidence being reminded that you have met that need and you've met it beyond our wildest dreams. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help for us to believe this enough to get off the merry-go-round of trying to produce in ourselves something that you've already given to us. Help for us to be able to rest in this and to believe this and to confess when we fail so that we can come back uh, into right relationship with you and therefore right relationship with those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name.